Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. In our incubation hub this week, we started an incubation hub last week, um, and this is going to be an ongoing feature where we are assisting small businesses to cope during this COVID-19 period. That's our little way of contributing to what is happening to the economy here in South Africa. So this week, we are focusing on cooperatives and what they are exactly and where they fit in and where they would be able to get assistance at this time. Peli Sankomo is a development economist and cooperative advisor. And she's going to be with us just to just to lay the foundation for all of us because I think it's important for us to have a unified understanding of what cooperatives are so that we can then assist uh, our guests who are going to be here with, with the kind of problems that they're facing in their own cooperative. So she joins us now on the line. A very good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us, Pelisa. Good afternoon, uh, Pamela, and good afternoon to the listeners. So could you maybe outline and define cooperatives for us? Well, uh, actually, there's no uh, what you call, um, there's a global consensus in terms of what cooperatives are in this contribution to the economy, right? Mm -hmm. But however, I think the simple way of defining them is that it's a, it's a collective group of people because, you know, um, uh, the definition differs from one environment to another. Yes. But it's a, it's a collective, it's a group of people who have very clear objectives. And amongst the objectives is to ensure that, one, they build a business that is financially viable, that contributes to the economy, and in that they use, they either sell their services or they produce a, pro- a product that they will actually present into the market. So that's really a broad uh, uh, definition. Now, the reason I'm talking about the fact that there's no, you know, concise global uh, uh, definition Mm -hmm. in terms of the cooperatives is because you have two sets of cooperatives. One, those that have a very clear uh, economic objective, which that's what I've just defined now. And then you have cooperatives with social Focus, which today they know it's always they are always referred to as social entrepreneurs, meaning that they are actually ensuring that whatever the 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 economic benefits that are accrued in the system, that in fact they convert them into some form of social benefits or either social uh, dividends. So you have those uh, type of, uh, 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 the two groups of social And and the second one that I'm defining it as a social entrepreneurship is that they are just looking at the social well-being Mm. of the communities without any interest in um, profit, uh, or making any form of gains, but also though, even though indirectly, they do contribute because the social well-being of communities or the social well-being of those who have organized themselves remains important for them to be able to lead a productive life in society. Then, Pelisa, then the question then is, then who 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 looks after them? So if if they're a cooperative and they need guidance or support from a government perspective, where would they then go? Would they then go to small business if if their social element is more important than than actually running profit? 
Yes, that's very important. Now, in the South African context, and I think let's zoom close to home. Yes, yes. That in the South African context, for example, there's a a very strong uh, regulation regime and support that exists in terms of the, the, the type of support that the economic-driven cooperatives where they need to go to. Mm-hmm. So there is a Cooperatives Act, which is currently resides in the Department of Trade and Industry, and the intention is particularly to support initiatives that are driving the economy from the bottom up, right? Mm-hmm. But that process has not been without its own complications. For instance, amongst the regimes that govern the cooperative sector, one is that they must be registered, okay, and there must be a group of, um, you know, more than more than five. They must be producing a certain a product, or they must be selling a particular service. But those that are selling a particular service are always discouraged to register as cooperative, mm-hmm. because normally people who 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 sell a particular service. On, under the mass companies, then either operating in the tertiary sector of the economy, which is their selling services, e.g., for instance, the other you know business support consultants, right, or for example, the uh, accountants. So most of the time, you know, people who produce goods but who are collectively located in a particular geographic location, they are always encouraged to register. The second component of the regime is that they get tax um, incentives, so meaning that for a certain period of time, I think it's uh, between 24 months to 36 months, they're not supposed to provide to submit any tax as they're building the business because the intention is to make it sure that within this 24 to 36 months is that they build sufficient foundation in terms of the corporate governance components, the, the marketing of the business, establishing financial systems, but also ensuring that the product they produce actually is able to get into the market. So part of that, you know, um, relief regime is actually intended to support them. In terms of reporting, the Department of Small Businesses actually does now take care of the the cooperative sector to to support them. Even though there's a cross-function because once the businesses graduate to a Mm. certain level, Mm. they could always... Um, apply for funding from Department of I just want to help help me understand. There's a point where I need you to to help me to help clarify for me. Mm-hmm. Where you are talking about those guys that are into services, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, if a group of young um, students, let's say, you know, final year student accountants, right? came together Mm -hmm. and they decided that they're going to come through into a a rural area or a township and assist Mm -hmm. small businesses that are run by people Mm -hmm. who don't necessarily have those accounting skills and assist them as a cooperative. They would be discouraged Mm -hmm. from doing that because they are a service kind of business? No. Actually, let me correct you. No, they will be encouraged, right, to become cooperative. So there is, in fact, a component of youth cooperatives. And I think you started zooming in into the target, yes, right? Yes. So the targeted area would be youth, will be women. Uh-huh. But the reason, um, the reason I'm talking about being discouraged in particular, mm-hmm. part of it has to do with the fact that more often than not, 
you would, you would actually encourage the economy where people, because normally the service-related sector is much more organized mm. and established, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one issue. But also, too, you would also, because remember the point I was making around the tax incentives, yes. right? So it means that if, for instance, you and I, who are quite limited, we will then sell our services or provide services in the market mm-hmm. under the cooperatives, so you can imagine how the system can get abused in as far as people say, oh, no, we are cooperatives, and, and therefore we will qualify for some of the tax incentives that are granted. But I do want to be specific. I think the youth-related one, certainly young people are actually encouraged to both take up the youth cooperative. Because in essence, youth cooperative is actually a space, or let me say the cooperative sector, is a space unto which people are able to learn how to run businesses, how to, you know, the issues around compliance. And therefore, in essence, young people who are under 35 with limited work experience, they are actually encouraged to ensure that they do register properties because they can always leverage on each other in terms of the, the technical expertise. You... you <laughs> My diffi- my slight difficulty, and maybe help me and clarify this for me, my slight difficulty with this is that if a group of professionals, as you as you're pointing out, had to do that and felt that there is a need for them to render services as a cooperative to a specific sector, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For, me, for me, it allows growth in that area or in that specific sector and, and, and that particular population group. If we discourage that, it means that they will forever be at a disadvantage because they can never quite get the professional services because they can't afford it. In fact, on the contrary, actually, yeah. um, 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 evidence suggests that mm-hmm. professionals, which is you and I, mm. actually, once they start a business, mm-hmm. they are businesses. And when they exact exit a particular industry, mm-hmm and decide either to tap into their experience that they would have accumulated over a period of time, you know, or if they've acquired additional, let me say, academic credentials. Yes. Everything suggests that, in fact, their companies tend to thrive a little more, lot more, for several reasons. Mm-hmm. Firstly, is that they actually understand the sector where they're moving, too, because they've accumulated experience. sufficient experience. Mm. The second component is that they move with their social capital, right, which they're likely to tap into. The third issue is that they have limited challenges around information asymmetries, which is access to information, but as well as a little bit of capital. So uh, evidence suggests that. So those are actually a group of people that tend to run successful service, either service or businesses, right? But I think the point I'm making around being discouraged, and I think let me clarify, is that it's not in law that it's being, being dis- discouraged, but it's, an, it's from an economic perspective, that in essence, people who would have sufficient resources and qualification, resources as well in terms of the experience, that rather than you'd rather encourage them to register their businesses mm-hmm. in the PTY mm-hmm. component because, as I'm saying, is that evidence suggests that actually they have to, they tend to have much more higher yields 
comparing to younger people who have just started business with no with all the challenges and raised access to market access to information they have limited uh, you know social capital to tap in their products even unknown or their services unknown in the market and that's why i had to make a clear delineation mm. that these are two different categories of people okay. who would present the market with completely either the same product but also with different experiences with no uh, um, social capital they don't enjoy exactly the same social capital and um, because of the, the exposure and the experience okay so let, let's just go then into this case study Umam Olga mm-hmm. is is a group of of, of ladies that started Bumbesizwe Cooperative Designs mm-hmm. and Deco. They used to make clothes and and things around the textile industry for the communities. I think they're a group of five. Mm-hmm. They've then gone into making masks. Right, they they're mm-hmm. finding it yeah. quite difficult at the moment. Those who want to procure from them are saying, no, 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 make it five rand, two rand, so that we can then sell on. It's proving to be mm-hmm. quite a difficult model, even though they have the skills, they are organised and so on. I'm going to bring Mam Olga onto onto the platform and and see mm-hmm. if she can maybe add more to her current experience as 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 a consequence of COVID, for instance. Mam Olga, thank you so much for for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Okay, Nana. I'm- so give us the background, Mam Olga, of, of your business, as of your cooperative. How long have you been um, making clothes for? The cooperative was registered in 2010. Mm-hmm. And give and us, yes, Mama, go ahead. It was registered in 2010. And then since 2010, we were busy uh, designing and sewing school uniform for social development mm. and SASA. Yeah. You understand me? Yes, ma'am. And we do a private, a private uniform, you know, mm-hmm. corporate uniforms mm. for private and small companies, you know. Mm. And if a, 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 compa- a, a person has got a, a cleaning company, we make uniform for them. Uh-huh. But the main thing which was, was we were doing, it was school uniform uh-huh. for the government. And since COVID, Mama, um, the the business has changed. Your orders of school uniform have have stopped coming. Am I right? Yes, everything it has stopped uh-huh. from private uh, and government. Everything has stopped. Mm-hmm. The only thing that it happens, who figure figure lavantu lava, amaleva brokers, but if I tell them it end and I'm a PPE, but we supply nine provinces. So Tina, for the last ten immaterial, and then we are supplying and I'm a PPE. Nye 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 EPPE mm. is from, I, I, I think, 30 rand. I'm a shoe cover, but for us, it's about 55 rand for 100 in the box. Mm. Just imagine. 
Okay. Mama oga ni nga gini na? Ama member si five. Ni five. Okay. Ama orders wama PPEs anga gana nuona? Ma. Ama order wama masks. No watatile la wama order? Hey. As long as watate we refuse. Mm-hmm. So you get seriously to run because which we must deliver then in a month's time mm. Okay, uh, just to 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 bring those in who who didn't hear um, Umam Olga, she's basically saying that they were making uniforms beforehand. They were making some uniforms for other corporates, corporates or school uniforms as well. All those orders have stopped. They started then making masks. However, labor brokers have come in and offered them two rand a mask. Uh, that being quite problematic because the cost of actually producing that is far more than that. And then they were also mm. uh, offered um, some money for making those shoe covers for the hospitals. So, so Pelisa, just assist us with, with what is wrong with this model and, and how she can then, you know, change the model of her business. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, it, I think the, the, I mean, there's a lot wrong about it. I think the first issue is that uh, what Umamu Oga in fact has just painted is exactly, it's a reflection of the misnomer actually mm-hmm. in our public procurement system, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think firstly, one of the problems about our public procurement framework uh, and or policy regime is actually created a lot of middlemen who were the middlemen mm-hmm. economic, right? Mm-hmm. The real manufacturers and producers of the products, you know, are picking up crumbs, mm-hmm. okay, because the middleman would have to ensure that at every level of the transaction is that they, they, they cover up their losses. And they tend to transfer some of those losses either to the producer or the manufacturer or to the user of the product. And it's common in the South African context in as far as something what we call price transfers. And it's not something that uh, consumers or citizens we pay attention to. So, so Pelisa, just before you go, be, because you've just mm-hmm. sp- spoken about what's wrong with this procurement model, then explain mm-hmm. to me why trade and industry, who's probably familiar with Bumbusi's cooperative, was not able to connect them to those who really need the service directly in government. That's a very important point. In fact, there's an article that I'm actually publishing uh, next week. Mm-hmm. One of the key issues I'm, I'm, I'm raising, I'm saying, we have spent so much time in South African government, in particular, collecting data of existing business. Mm. In particular, here in Gauteng, yeah, because part of the work I did as an economic advisor, and where there was a program called Constitutional meaning that get your business registered. And women, in the sewing or textile industry. It actually devoted a lot of time to open up their books and registering. So the key question, and I think that's where the point I'm making around the problematic nature of our public procurement system, is that, for instance, it doesn't take time and recognize that because our economy is of dualistic nature, Mm -hmm. right? 
So Omamo Olga, who are not able to fill massive forms mm. for tenders, mm. are always going to be left out of the system, mm-hmm. right? Because the recognition of an existence of a cooperative economy and its impact is very minimal. I think it's very clear mm. in terms of policy regime, but at an institutional level, the businesses like Omamo Olga, who in fact are supporting households mm. and contributing the social dividend that I was talking about earlier are often left out of the the, the opportunities of this nature. Let me, let me, let me ask you to point, pause point there, Pelisa, because I think you are on to quite a big, big conversation. Uh, I will come back to you. Mm-hmm. Pelisa Ngomo is a development economist okay. uh, and as well as a co- cooperative advisor. We are in conversation with Umam Olga, who runs a cooperative with a group of ladies. There are five of them. And they're just painting out the, 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 the challenges that they're facing at the moment during this COVID-19 period. They've been making clothes. They started making PPEs as well. And they are not getting the required um, business, even though they're at the center of the kind of solutions to the problems that we have. I'll come back to that after the headlines, but let me go to Amanda Machaka now at 2.30. Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. We call it an incubation hub where we try and step in and assist businesses to go to the next level or at least get them out of the kind of difficulties that they face during this COVID-19 period. A lot of them are facing difficulties and this is our way of, of being part of the solution in this country. So we're in conversation with Pili Sangomo, who's a developmental economist and a cooperative advisor. And our focus today is cooperatives and uh, the case study is of Mam Olga Kame, who runs a cooperative with a group of ladies. They've been making clothes. They then stopped because the orders stopped and then they started making masks as well as um, protective gear for hospitals. However, labor brokers came in and were only willing to pay, for instance, two rand a mask, which is just not doable, right? So before we went mm-hmm. to the headlines, we were just trying to unpack all of this because my question to Pelisa was, if the cooperatives are known to the Department of Trade and Industry, why is it then that government, which continues to talk about creating jobs and opportunities and women and so on, was not able to identify them as a preferred supplier to government's requirements of PPEs? That for me is a million dollar mm-hmm. question. And, and if we can't answer that, therein possibly lies our problem as as this country is trying to then mm. change its economic uh, structure. If if we can't do that, then I, I'd say, Pelisa, then it's lip service. Everything that we've been saying is lip service. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, I mean, it's important then, because the reality is that if we want to see structural change in the South African economy, is that we have to work with Mam Olka, yes. for instance. And, and while even our policy is very well articulated in terms of what it seeks to achieve, we may even say the same about the private sector, right? Yes, yes. So, for instance, you ask the question, pick and pay has a uniform store, for instance. Mm. And the key question is that whether mom or guy, have they ever had, and, and, I, and I'm asking the question, you know, figuratively, maybe other mom or guy located in Gaziland, where else are they buying their uniform from? When in fact you know that this sets 
is one sector that attracts women, right? That's one. It's labor intensive mm. and it creates multiple uh, opportunities of jobs. And in particular, on the back of the fact that textile, our textile industry actually was a, a, its industrial output had declined. Mm. Since 1990, when we started, 1994, in fact, when we started the liberalization program, which opened up our our borders yeah. to, in particular, to Chinese, Chinese goods. Mm, mm. So it meant that we, we became less competitive, both in terms of labor, but also in terms of productivity, and uh, in, then in terms of other uh, uh, sectors of production, which are related to energy, electricity, infrastructure, etc. So... So, and, and I think that the key issue for me is that while there may seem to be a political commitment, that there's less investment to demonstrate that that commitment. For instance, I would assume that Mamu Oka, for example, her business is registered. Mm. So when there's a tender for masks, right, mm-hmm. there needs to be a different way that is employed to make it sure that Mam Oka is not confronted with information of interest. But, 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 but information but, that there's a tender or mask that is available p- instead of getting the information through a middleman. P- Pelisa, I, I, I then ask again, what then is the job of trade and industry instead of putting up little pop-up stalls at, at, uh, at these uh, conventions and so on? Because for me, trade and industry, if it was doing its job, then they should be the ones assisting Mam Olga to fill in that form because they would know firsthand what tender is going to be mm. out. So they should be the conduit. No, and no, 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 you're absolutely correct. In fact, one of the lessons we're learning, and perhaps if I can just make mm. a reference, I'm part of the South African, South African Women in Dialogue Transdisciplinary Study. One of the key things we're doing, we are making an assessment of the social economic impact of the COVID-19 in terms of the 500 billion, but also fundamentally, whether what is it that we need to do to introduce structural change. Mm. Now, what we're focusing on that report, we're not sticking into the diagnosis component, but we're saying what are the alternatives. So the mm-hmm. alternatives, and purely from an economic perspective, is to recognize that because we have a dualistic nature of our business, therefore when we deal with Mount Alta, it can't be the same as when we deal with an established textile business. So we need to establish clear, clear instruments to support Mount Alta. One of those is to ensure that we have what we call social uh, social or economic development facilitators on the ground mm-hmm. who will not into Mamu Olga's infrastructure where she's located and say, are yes. you aware that there's a tender? Yes. Here's the information session. Let's help you. That's one. But That's also it. profoundly, after that form has been signed, is that there must be a procurement regime or a procurement republic, procurement regime, which introduces set aside. Well, Mamu Olga, again, is not going to be competing with Dagama Textile. Dagama mm-hmm. Textile is well established. It has a footprint across the country. But Mamu Oka has a footprint in her community and with the women that she works with. So therefore, there must be clear set aside that out of this 11 million, if, for instance, a clear 7 million can be produced by women, and you become very specific on that, and and as long as that set aside is not there in the policy regime. But I'm aware, though, that uh, the public policy, the public procurement uh, policy 
is currently under review. I participated in the dialogue uh, in April where that was hosted by UN Women. Amongst those who were looking at what is it, what are the components of the uh, public procurement that needs to change. And the proposition for set aside came out very clearly from the women who participated that otherwise we're not going to be able to achieve any structural transformation across the economic sector if the set-asides are not clear. And part of that set-aside is that they must be supported by clear procurement officers mm-hmm. on the ground mm-hmm. who are collecting the data. Because otherwise, Umam Oga will forever uh, actually rely on measurement. For instance, if you zoom very clearly on the on the request that the measurement had asked, mm. I mean, there are no margin. For instance, no, in any nothing. business, you must be able to cover operational costs, right? I mean, it's not even enough to cover the material. Water, absolutely. The material, yes, you know, the the material, the, uh, you know, the needles of the machine, for example, because when you have such a huge production expected out of you, you're likely to have your your needles breaking, you know, almost every after 500 uh, production. You need to uh, labor, you know, and if they have to work over time, it means that their families, their children won't be looked after. They will have to ask for help from somebody else. How are they going to be able to help this? Yes. And I think for me, that's why you need to talk about a clear gendered, gendered structured economy that recognizes the role of women in the economy. And let, me, let me ask, let me ask, to ask. one. Let me ask us to pause there for a second, Pelisa. We need to take this break and then we'll continue with this and, and maybe just coming up with solutions for Mum Olga in the meantime while government figures this out. And I can't imagine that this is rocket science. So what's taken so long? At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Good afternoon, Pamelo and their guest. Cooperatives are a good entity that allows community participation and working as a collective. The challenge is that we need to move away from politicizing the economy. I happen to be a a consultant that registered many cooperatives, but none of them have been able to get assistance because of the red tapes and the bottlenecks that are there. Thank you very much. Anonymous in KZN. Okay, well, I pull myself towards myself. Pelisa Mkomo is my guest. She's a development <laughs> economist and cooperative advisor. And I'm also in conversation with Mam Olga Kame, who runs a cooperative and has found herself in really a serious position right now where they, they don't really know where to go with all the skills in the world. So here's my thought, Pelisa. We we can have mm-hmm. this conversation and, and the, 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 the president made an announcement not so long ago that the... the uh, objective now is to give to procure i think was it 40 percent of all business from women you know mm-hmm. you wouldn't even have to classify it as women businesses if you just connected the dots because ordinarily you would find that there are more women farmers believe it or not they are on mm-hmm. the ground mm-hmm. who are cultivating the ground and so on who are picking uh, the fruit and so on you would find that there are more women mm-hmm. who are seamstresses and so on so it's not rocket science you would ha- you don't have to go out of your way to make it happen mm-hmm. and establish these businesses these people are already there so I don't mm-hmm. think that you and I are smarty pants and you know nobody has thought this through for before 
What's the problem? Mm-hmm. Why is it that what I, you and I are finding obvious has not been implemented? Yeah. No, I think the biggest issue, and which I think one of your uh, callers there who left a message, is the approach of one size fits all. I think the point that I was making earlier is that as long as we only recognize the dualism nature of our economy in paper, but in action and the institutional organization of public sector is not organized to make it sure that it corrects the dualism, we are always going to have exactly the same challenges. So, okay. for instance, if if you if you setting up currently with the COVID nineteen, the the access to support for businesses is through UIF. So it means that Mom Olga now that she's not able to you know to uh, to get anything in her order book, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's no you know children have not been going to mm. school up until uh, last week. Mm. So what happens? is that she will have to go and fill in the UIF form. Yes, in fact, now she's been asked to do that. to be assisting Umamu Olga with the UIF form. Firstly, it's in English, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it actually compels Umamu Olga that the only way that she can benefit in this economy is that she has to speak English. So, 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 so Pelisa, let me, let me come in quickly there. I'm just, I'm just worried yeah. we're running out of time. So, uh, in fact, uh-huh. Umamu Olga has gone that route. Instead... They have asked her to rather opt for receiving the Sasa grant, the 350. She and her colleagues have said, absolutely not. We are running a cooperative. But it seems like administration of her forms is too much trouble. So they've diverted her and converted her. They've asked her to go and ask for the 350. This is exactly, this is an interesting disconnect. Interesting, because among all the cooperatives registered, right? Yes. Now, here's the disconnect. The disconnect is that the, the, the access to UIF fund is designed for certain type of businesses. Mm-hmm. So, mom, all that business, or like any other business, they are not accommodated sure. into that. And this is exactly the disconnect and the failure to structurally, and, but also institutionally, organize the public yes. sector in a way that is able to help mom, all old in a way that, for instance, they are saying, go draw the 250 instead of getting the 1 million like any yeah. other employer or like any other business. Pelisa, I'm going to... There's a lot to uncover. There's a lot to unravel. We need to continue Absolutely. with this conversation. We need to sort this out. And so we're going to park this yeah. and continue next week. There's so many questions coming through. Pelisa Ngomo is a development economist and a cooperative advisor. And uh, our case study in this point was Umam Olga, who's running a cooperative. And I've given you those details. It just is horrific to speak of. Um, we will be back because we want solutions from Umam Olga. We're not going to leave it here. So we, we're trying to find what other ways around a structural problem that we actually see ourselves in.